Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcasters, and Aussie as well. Uh, credit to Justin Campbell at jcamp1521 on Twitter if you want to follow him for the intro. Uh, you can always go hit him up. I think he does uh, commissions for stuff like this. Uh, I mean, at least I would assume he still does. Uh, probably would do it for some money if you chip, chip him some. Uh, today my guest is Aaron of Timeline Earth. We are back. We're finishing out the live reading series of Agris Class Theory. So this should be a fun one. Uh, it's a short one, as you can tell. It's only two as opposed to New Libertarian Manifesto that was like something retarded, like 12. Uh, just want to remind you guys, this will be paid walled like most things are. So if you are watching on the 5th, uh, it is a live stream and you are getting it free as long as you're here for the public live stream. It will go behind the paywall after uh, and it won't go up for roughly a week or so later, depending on when I end up you know, putting it back up, depending on my schedule. Uh, if you want to be able to get access to that in the meantime, it's patreon.com. Just Noe Jose 2020. Lowest level is two bucks. Highest level is 20. And that's my sponsors. My sponsors are C McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. Jeremy, who is an Etsy store at Etsy.com slash shop slash Raising Liberty. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes, uh, like things rhyming, you know, that word. I'm Mikel Thorpe of the Expat Money Show. Uh, make sure you go check out my OKC series if you haven't already. That one's uh, that one's a shit. I'm going to be starting back up here in a couple days, looking back into it with Richard Booth. And uh, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure when I'm dropping this. I think it will probably be after. But I do have the uh, Dave Smith uh, episode coming up next week. So he'll be back. So pop in for that. Uh, use top Also, topops.com. Use Jose at Chuggo for 10% off. If you want to get some of my merch, a bunch of other shows, merches, you know, his uh, art that's not merch or that's not like show related stuff, he has that as well. With that, let's go ahead and get into it. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, what's up? What's up? Let's go ahead and get into it. We won't do an intro this time. People know who you are. If they feel like most people aren't just going to show up for the second part of a live reading and that's you not watch the first, that'd be weird. So that would be gay and retarded. Yeah, make no fucking sense. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're starting off chapter five, libertarian class analysis. Feel free to pop in at any time if you have anything that you know sparks discussion, and we'll go ahead and get into it. Marx's class analysis, with its recurring problem of the cross-class nature of status and anti-status, lies in shreds. Clearly, oppression exists, but another class model is needed to explain how it works. The libertarian class model advanced by Murray and Rothbard is based on the relation of the individual to the state, which springs from Franz Oppenheimer's paradigm of the evolution of the state. The sweep of history, Oppenheimer wrote, has a, was a long account of the parasitic class continually transforming itself with new religions and ideologies to justify its existence and repeatedly hoodwink the productive class into serving it. As Konkin explained, today the state uses democracy victim participation in his own plunder. Liberalism leashed the state to make it more palatable. Conservatism, which unleashed the state against enemies, commies, or capitalists, perverts, or straits, heretics, or orthodox believers. That's exactly, that's what you call based. Um, and other nostrums. Snake oil or anti-concepts to beguile its victims into accepting continued blunt, uh, plunder, taxation, murder, war and execution, and slavery, conscription, and taxation again. Socialism, including Marxist variants, Marxist variants, is just another dogma you suggest. Can we uh, can we back up a second? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what 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 caught your ear? I think it's kind of a simplistic view to to attribute the state's power to the masses getting hoodwinked and tricked, and you know, 
buying into what's obviously a lie. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> I think by and large, the state operates with the consent of um, whoever likes the people in charge of the state, which at any point in time could be 50% of the population. Or if you count apathetic people, that could be like 75% of the population. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a, it's something that I, I kind of disagree with Rothbard on yeah. is that, you know, the state's, the state's only means of, um, of tacit consent is by tricking people. It's like, I don't know. I, th I think, I think most people know exactly what's going on and they're all right with it. Yeah, I actually kind of agree with you. I do think that's a blind spot of a, a lot of libertarian analysis. Um, yeah, um, there, there definitely is something there. Maybe you can make a case at some points are hoodwinked, some points are not, because like you said, like obviously you got to think at some point the person's going to be in that they don't like. Uh, but even then, some some people they they, they know like all oh, that comes with the territory. So I have yeah. to because you know a lot of people like you're like that's the fucking president. Even, there's a lot of people who are like that even when it's not their guy. It's uh, it's so. this weird like a priori truth that if everything was revealed, then people would become anti-statists yeah and uh that's that's kind of a giant leap to me at least yeah i uh, i do think that like in a in a anarchist world or a freer world i do think the incentives would uh correct things out and over time that would diminish but given the current structure there are definitely people who gain to benefit and enjoy the way things are yeah uh, I, so and this if, is something i like about popular liberties analysis of things so you kind of almost like a market desire for uh yeah. the state in a sense and that's the thing is any system that can provide material benefits and stability and order um people are generally going to be incentivized to uh to gravitate towards that system even even if it is you know fundamentally it will i should say even if freedom and liberty or whatever is not really part of the equation yeah i mean like i said i do think if if things were in, in you know flipped like if we were in anarchy or something more along those lines i do think the incentives would change and over time that would diminish but given the current structure there are definitely people who enjoy the benefits and know what's going on and definitely mm -hmm. consent and aren't being hoodwinked um you know i guess the I mean, I guess the point is that the people at the top are being hoodwinked, but they are kind of like uh, people in the middle. I guess that's kind of like yeah. a spectrum analysis that are kind of like understand that like, I don't know, mid-level management, mid-level politicians, whatever, what have you. So, uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's this whole concept of uh, the total state mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, even your average, you know, 200 follower count Twitter account uh, that parrots the regime, that he is he is part of the state now you know mm -hmm. social media is an arm of the state and uh you know you can you can be either for it or against it but you're a part of it yeah i i mean it, it that's why it's kind of like a sliding scale uh, for example uh i guess a good example is uh you know i'm sure you saw the lpnh tweet that like people freaked out about a while ago with megan mccain thing and yeah. a lot of people and you know i'm completely for it like fuck that fuck that bitch but a lot of people make the point that like, well, she's not her father. And it's like, okay, well, she endorsed all of these things. And obviously I can make the case kind of like an Operation Mockingbird. She's basically corporate media. She basically is a wing of it. But there's also the chance that she's completely uh, not at all under the pay of the feds or is just completely 
you know, pushing that. And I think to some extent she is responsible and basically to some extent is basically the same. Her whole existence is geared towards legitimizing, you know, the, the people that we hate. So fuck her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which was a a part that most people missed. And that's actually kind of why I liked it a lot. Uh, that one, a lot of people kept backing off to like, oh, well, this was supposed to be Mook McCain. And like, because technically, if you do analyze it, the point was like, obviously, if you just showed a casket, no one would know it was McCain. Uh, so the point was, it wasn't actually pointed at her, but I'm actually fine with it being pointed at her because I yeah. think that makes a, I actually think that makes a more interesting point to, because it's a lot easier to get people on with fuck John McCain. It's a lot harder to get people on with fuck his daughter because, uh, was- you know. That that whole thread just turned into a really good nexus of, um, you know, where to go if you want to find out who's with you and who's not. Oh, yeah. And I like shit like that. I know a lot of people were upset. They're like, well, this is ambiguous. and Because uh, they had that other – they also had that – the one that they got a lot of trouble for was the 6 million tweet. I'm sure you saw that. Like, I actually like that. I'm a big fan of shit that allows the, the reader to interpret it. Because yeah. – it allows allows you to be able to tell if they're working in good faith and where they're coming from. And if they're freaking out, it's like, okay, well, fuck you. You, I mean, (laughs) I, I went into it knowing full well that it was an anti-Semitic tweet. And I just looked at the people that, you know, flipped out about it and was like, all right, I need to, I need to block them or mute them or whatever. Yeah. Those are the best type of tweets, in my opinion, the ambiguous ones that can be interpreted in multiple ways because you allow your enemy to, to, uh, you know, reveal themselves. So all right. Almost all libertarians accept the state divides society into two classes. Those that gain by the existence of the state and those who lose. Most libertarians who agree that society would be better off if the state were eliminated or at least shrunk significantly. But despite efforts of the late Rothbard and others to raise libertarian class consciousness, most American libertarians seem to find discussion of class theory offensive, impolite, and not respectable. <laughs> that's kind of funny but to tail end what we were just talking about <laughs> yeah, not, not so much anymore sorry sorry yeah. sam <laughs> um they appear to believe that only right-wing kooks and commies talk about ruling class and class structures nevertheless efforts to expand libertarian class theory into a comprehensive model have continued i gotta say the uh the the full-on tanky commies and the right-wing kooks i think are some of the best people honestly so <laughs> some of the some of the best people at um you know distilling what's going on in a in a digestible manner yeah yeah uh radical or chapter six radical libertarian class analysis murray rothbard himself continued to expand other libertarian cl- upon libertarian class theory his roots in the old right had introduced him to populist bankers conspiracy theories and the like Added class viewpoints came from left status and earlier anarchists. What he discovered was that the proponents of ruling classes, power elites, politico-economic conspiracies, and higher circles pointed to roughly the same gang at the top of the sociological pyramid. Rothbard introduced the work. What of- gang was that, Rothbard? <laughs> uh, the uh, the uh, three parentheses gang. I'm assuming you're getting at yeah. Uh, <laughs> six milli, yeah. Uh, Rothbard introduced the work of three left revisionist analy- analysts to libertarian class theory Gabriel Kolko, Carl Oglesby, and G. William Domhoff. Never heard of any of them. <laughs> uh, historian Kolko's 
triumph of conservatism detailed how capitalists thwarted the relatively free marketplace of the late 19th century and conspired with the state to become robber barons and monopolists. Rothbard's adoption of the Calco viewpoint severed the alliance between radical libertarians and free market apologists for conservatism. Oglesby, a former president of Students for a Democratic Society, co-authored Containment and Change in 1967, which argued for an alliance between the new left and the libertarian non-interventionist old right in opposing imperialistic U.S. foreign policy. In the Yankee and Cowboy War, Oglesby tied in current assassination conspiracy theories to present a division in the ruling class. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Uh, to do. In, important for both Rothbard and Oglesby was the division within the higher circles. The internal conflict between those controlling the state manifests itself in political electioneering, corruption, and entrapment, assassination, and finally outright warfare. Wrote Konkin, the class consciousness of the superstatus while high does not include class solidarity. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The, the aspect that even though we are kind of uh, you know, doing roughshod, uh, labeling these classes. There is, you know, even within these classes, different classes. Yeah. And, and yeah. usually broken down a, a, along ideological lines, at least today, there was a, uh, there was a thread by, um, who's that lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, Tom Morello. Um, basically it was like a, a meme of, um, uh, what was it like? You know, eight eight billion dollars to Taiwan, six billion dollars to Ukraine, and then goes to like Jackson, Mississippi, and hey, you shouldn't drink the water here, and uh, you you got to see that that divide between leftists and liberals pr pretty clearly. It was like, you know, the leftists were basically almost, but not quite, uh, America first. Yeah. And uh, that was like the main accusation of the liberals in the thread was like, this is nativism, this is populism, like this, you know, it's uh, but it, it, it was very interesting to see that that split. And it is it is along the lines of um, foreign policy slash imperialism. Yeah. And obviously the easiest divide you can see right now is uh, the Trump Biden one right now. I mean, that's raging right now. I have a lot to say on that, but it doesn't really make sense in this 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 format for some of the stuff I have to say things getting weird, but yeah, there definitely is a, you do have the ruling class kind of div divided up and kind of uh, going against each other in different ways. Yeah. And, and uh, like okay. when we say the ruling class, we don't, we don't necessarily mean like people in political power, but someone like Tom Morello definitely commands some, some cultural sway. Oh, for know? sure. Yeah. In a certain way you can almost use the hop argument. He's a little bit of a natural lead, although he's kind of a cunt. In yeah. certain ways, he is a natural I don't think he's elite. a natural lead. In his own right. A I, I, musician. <laughs> yes, in his own right. Because I, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do hear natural elite and they have this idea of in all regards. No, and I feel like there's different ways you are. He's obviously a talented musician and has a large, you know, sway over the culture. So in yep. a certain sense. And he is an activist. I just don't, yeah. I don't think he's at any type of level compared to, you know, anyone else really. Yeah, I get what you mean. He's not the best example, but he's yeah. like kind of a, a lesser uh, natural lead, I guess. In a and then uh, I was going to hit on, I think we mentioned this last episode, but, um, you know, Rothbard's or uh, not even Rothbard, but uh, Conkin's division of classes between those that benefit from the state and those that those that don't uh, or those that are predated mm -hmm. on. Um, again, it's it, it's maybe he'll maybe he'll switch things up 
as as we go along, but it seems an awful lot lot like he's limiting the whole predation and benefit aspect to uh, material benefit mm -hmm. and material predation. When in 2022, um, we can see that uh, you know it's not it's not even about material benefit anymore. It's, I mean, it's certainly, it certainly is for, for most people, but uh, you know, this is why I think this class theory is kind of incomplete is because you'll have people in a lower material class that are ecstatic with their life because of the non-material benefit that they get from, from the state, which mm -hmm. is, which, which we see when they, you know, parrot, <clears throat> parrot regime talking points and, you know, um, ESG and DEI talking points, they, they get benefit from that psychic benefit, which I mean, has, uh, it's not replaced material benefit yet, but it's definitely, you know, something to consider. Yeah. It's a, I guess it's more of the cultural aspect that's uh, mm -hmm. kind of missing. And, uh, uh, cause I kind of got in a, a little bit of a, not, not an argument, but I guess a semantic discussion the other day, I think this kind of is, is a similar thing. Uh, we we're talking about like kind of people who understand economics as meaning anything, I, or meaning everything. And I kind of understand economics as meaning everything, but I also kind of blur my definition of what economics is. Cause I, I bring it down to values because mm -hmm. you can have something that's a monetary value, or it can just be valuable to you. You can value uh, your home, your, your community. So I, I, I see kind of, I, I know that's technically not the right definition, but I find it an easier way to understand it as competing values and how they interact among individual actors. And yeah, I do think most people do end up getting wrapped up in materialism when they understand these type of things and specifically in, you know, goods, uh, monetary type things, services, but there is definitely, there is definitely, you could, you could almost, you could place a, uh, you could make some sort of imaginary value uh, thing off of, I don't know, whether or not you're allowed to get an abortion in this country. Yeah. So cloud. yeah. yeah. <laughs> cloud, cloud is, is, yeah. is the new currency. <laughs> yeah. For better mm -hmm. or worse. Which I guess that kind of goes to our earlier point in the last episode where a lot of times when you talk past each other when it comes to words, like, what do you mean? Cause a lot of people will accuse people who like say stuff like economics is everything is being like, well, you're so materialist. And they're like, okay, but yeah. how are they understanding economics? It's, are they understanding it the same way as you are? Like, cause I have, I've heard that take of economics yeah. that given by other people. So I I've learned to completely separate like my economic brain from my political brain and from my religious brain. And like, I, like, it's like, I have to become a completely different person when I'm talking about ec economics than when I'm talking about say religion, because there's, they're often at odds with each other. My, mm -hmm. my economic preferences might not, might not jive with my religious preferences. Yeah. Um, but it, it all depends on the context of the conversation and what, you know, or if, you know, what basically what my mood is, am I hungry? Am I angry? Like, <laughs> yeah. What is your current value, uh, judgment at the moment in time? Yeah. A am I being a rational actor right now? Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about economics, you're assuming everybody is a rational actor. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Uh, true. Although, although uh, the the basis of Western economics is very like subjective. So, mm -hmm. it, you know, you can say someone's being an irrational actor, but it really that just means they're acting in their own subjective way. Putting an irrational or rational label on it is kind of uh, that's kind of the whole point. Is you can't really uh, predict these things because people are not perfect rational actors. That if X, then Y. That's not mm -hmm. how people operate. So. 
I mean, I guess technically maybe you could get a supercomputer together and create some sort of amazing algorithm, but you're getting to a ridiculous level. And at that point, you're that, that's where yeah. commies kind of like cream all over themselves. Like we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. But, and they don't realize that human beings make irrational decisions all the time. Like there's no reason for me to prefer the color white over the, mm. wait, never, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also like, uh, yeah, sure. Technically, I guess you could in a sense, boil down human decision making down to some sort of crazy algorithm but the problem of the insane amount of uh input you would need to make this a proper yeah. algorithm would be just in beyond the capability of any computer ever because yep. it literally could be something of oh yeah this one time when i was five years old this thing i don't even remember happened to me and this affects my decision making in this one way that's you why know. i'm i'm <laughs> not like a, a black pill doomer about AI because it will never pass a Turing test until mm. in order for it to pass a Turing test, we human beings would need to be brought down to the level of the best AI, which is a significant de-evolution. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're really, because you got to think every bit of, you know, a human is brought on by literally your entire life, things you don't remember, stuff that happens while you're sleeping. The idea that you could really have that much raw input into your data system to be able to you know correctly do that is just fucking it's yeah. ridiculous you know so yeah i mean it's theoretically sure but it's it's, it's, it's not like, to say that we're not being engineered to be dumbed down to you know successfully interact with with the best ai possible i think i think that's reasonable to assume yeah but um i'm not worried about it any time in my lifetime yeah, I mean, there always are going to be people that you really probably could do that with, but oh, there absolutely. are people like me and you that are at the least fucking zoomers. Yeah, <laughs> me and you that are probably on the higher end of midwit that I think that even they can't quite get there. So yeah, uh, but the, I guess maybe the bulk of uh, the uh, populace probably. But what were the higher circles? The term came from Domhoff, a research professor of psychology, described them as a subtle arist aristocracy with similar mating habits and association characteristics previously seen in other holders of state power and privilege. Well, I got the burps. Rothbard's discovery and dissemination of Domhoff's work provided a solid base for his power elite analysis. In nearly every ruling class theory, the top of the status pyramid was occupied by David Rockefeller's interlocking directorate corporate control of U.S. and international finance and the Bank of and the band of core intellectuals and corporate allies found in the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and lesser-known groups. <laughs> Once a ruling group was identified, its, nature's, its nature could be examined further and its actions observed and eventually predicted. Yeah, you just got to follow the money and it always ends up back to the banks or the big old bankers. Two formidable blocks have prevented even the radical libertarians from offering a comprehensive class model to compete with essentially dead Marxist alternatives. The first block is a culture lag. Most notably in the U.S., where talking about classes is perceived as offensive and impolite. As Konkin remarked, only rice kooks and conkies talk, uh, conkies, uh, commies talk about ruling class and class structures. The second roadblock is simply the limitation of libertarian theory. With the exception of agorists, even most radical libertarians see a political solution to statism even most okay all right i had to read that again in my head in building political co wrote Konkin, in building political coalitions to seize the apex of state control it pays not to look too closely at the class interests of your bankers 
and temporary allies. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's a good point. A lot of people, I, I think that's a, that's a point that I think too many, even, I mean, I'm not sure uh, like how the money works, even say an organization is like small, like a green party or an LP, but there, I bet if you look, there might be some moneyed interests that make you question things. So it, yeah, there might be. Um, I think, I think still to this day, it's, it's pretty grassroots. Um, mm -hmm. That's the whole, whole idea behind populism is, you know, to, to destroy the bankers. So like, unless, unless you get some, I don't know, opportunist, uh, you know, opportunist elite or, or an elite that genuinely identifies with, you know, the majority of uh, whatever, whatever populism looks like, um, you're, you're not going to see too much in the way of uh, material support from their end, but it can, it can certainly be there. I, I know that yeah. um, back in the day you had the, uh, the, the Koch brothers were big, you know, libertarian donors and yeah. you know, they weren't, they weren't in any way, shape or form willing to, you know, even have the idea of destroying the state, you know, in, in, in our lifetime. Or even minimizing in any really, um, I don't know, uh, I no, guess just, effective or uh, meaningful way. Yeah. They wanted, they, they wanted state power to go to, to, to get dispersed into, you know, basically their company's power. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the uh, the Rockwell bit about the uh, regime libertarians. A lot of people probably I, I can't I, I can't recall the whole his whole little spiel about it. But he has there's a good little video out there uh, of him talking about them and how how they operate. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I know that that this I guess maybe it's a little bit my conspiracy mind. But I mean, I've been going on a deep dive looking to like Fed stuff recently between like the Michigan stuff and then uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how they get involved in all these different. Uh, you know, basically creating terrorism and the raw amount of informants and then, you know, undercover yeah. FBI there are out there. So the idea that, I mean, maybe, I mean, I don't know, I'm just talking on my ass, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if there are people that aren't, you know, fully out and out uh, that are moneyed interests that are kind of supporting things, uh, whether yeah. it be Green Party, LP, definitely in the main two parties for sure. Like and, out of your mind, if the, you don't think that. And so. I mean, even in the context of what we're reading right now, any significant offshoot of agorism, uh, like like three D printing, firearms, mm -hmm. and cryptocurrencies has, I don't, has been subsumed. I, I don't know if by Fed actors or just you know, cultural enemies. Oh, I guarantee um, there are uh, some in there. Although I do think, in the same I mean, way, <laughs> yeah, <Thanks. laughs> yeah, in, in the same way that because uh, it's the idea. Because I, I remember I was arguing with somebody recently about like the the use or the 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 uselessness of like say an organization like the LP you know on the national level. I kind of was talking to someone. I was kind of like, obviously I'm an agorist, but I will give you that I think you're better off going you know working with your state caucus than putting any effort whatsoever in the national. And then even then you're probably better working. You know, the smaller the unit, the easier it is to you know work within. Yeah. There's less outside influence, less whatever. It's it's kind of the same idea, uh, and I think the same. I think it applies to agorism, but the point is like it's a lot harder for them to take any sort of effective hold when you're dealing. The further you know, decentralized or whatever you are, the, the smaller the unit. Because yeah. uh, you know, like yeah, you could have maybe you know, say we were talking about ghost guns today. I'm not saying the dude's a Fed, but like let's say he was a Fed, like. Yeah, okay, he's an influential individual, but like to what extent can he really do anything other than maybe shift some cultural aspects? Like, well, he can lay the foundation for, you know, that whole 3D, you know, 
crackdown. Yeah, 3D printing firearms, that whole space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get it, get a critical mass of people in one space, and then you can dictate what the norms are. You yeah. know, okay, we, we don't allow racists in here. We don't allow homophobes. We don't allow transphobes. We don't allow, you know, whatever. They, they get to dictate the culture of that of that dissident space, yeah. which essentially makes it a regime approved space. Yeah, but the now you are three D printing yeah. firearms, which they don't like. Yeah. But you are controlled, and that you know when you start having kids, you're going to teach them those cultural values, and they're going to be compliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, my point being, it's definitely a lot harder with something like uh, you know a free you know something like three printing where it's individuals. Yeah, you can have large influential people that are you know making pushing cultural moves one way or the other. But uh, the, the beautiful thing is at the same time, you can be like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to be racist and I'm going to print guns. So suck a dick. Whereas if say something like the LP, which, uh, you know, a while ago, they just recently, they just took out, and I'll give them credit for this, the irrational and repugnant bullshit. I think it's great. They took rid of, got rid of that. It made no fucking sense from a political standpoint, um, you know, and, or from even from a, uh, or even from a, um, from a, uh, you know, principled libertarian standpoint, it made no sense either. Uh, so, you know, the, but they had it before and the idea is there, they can literally have a rule of like, well, if you're, if we feel that you did something that's even the least bit racist or interpreted as racist, we can bog you down in this bullshit and possibly maybe, you know, hold up this or that and make your political runs, you know, hell or not able to happen at all. Whereas, you know, in the same, the 3d printing gun type thing, you'd be like, well, fuck you. I'm still going to print guns. So yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's just poisoning the well from the inside when yeah. when 3D printing when when 3D printed firearms enthusiasts start to get divided along cultural lines, then you know that's that's how you subvert it. That's you know you I don't have to tell I don't have to tell you what happens when you don't like when you're a criminal and you don't like another criminal. <laughs> yeah. Um the, yeah, we definitely we talked about that a little bit last time as well. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. Um, yeah, there definitely is something to having your own OPSEC. And I guess that we were also talking about being cleansing mechanism. If you're stupid enough to interact with people who you clearly are going to fuck you over, yeah. well, then you may pay the cost for it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, the free market doing its job. Yeah. <laughs> so this limitation can be understood another way. When libertarian ideologues attack alleged libertarians for not freeing themselves of state institutions, state subsidies, or actual state jobs, they reply to Kuke. I forget. Wasn't that like it were I forget what the fuck that means. Uh, Whatever. That is, how can the purest libertarians enjoy the supposed benefits of state roads, monopolized postal delivery, and even municipal sidewalks, and then accuse those wearing a libertarian label of selling out by getting elected to office, accepting tax collected salaries, and wielding actual political power on the way to withering away the state, no doubt. All right. Agorists have had no such problem with a distinction, nor do they find any disjunction between means and ends. Furthermore, the simple premise of agorist class theory lead quickly to sharp judgments about the moral nature, libertarian theory, and practical nature of any individual's human action. Uh, I do want to point out the means and ends thing. I bring this up frequently every time I talk about agorism, but I do think that is actually one of the most one of the best things about agorism. I'll, is the idea because the problem with a lot of political stuff is, though, especially when it comes to like Machiavellianism, if you're trying to lead some sort of major, and not that I necessarily have any issue with Machiavellianism, 
I just think the issue is if you're trying to lead some sort of movement or political thing, if you're making this move and that move and acting in dishonest ways and doing this and doing that, the idea that this is going to be some sort of thing that can act in perpetuity, that this is going to be able to pass on to another person while you're doing these confusing things behind the scene and you're also sending these confusing signals to followers below you, that that will ever work out is, I find it to be silly. Whereas with agorism, extremely simple. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people can you know have complaints here and there. But it's very simple, means and ends, completely comport. They match up, um, and there's no, there's nothing that gets confusing in that regard. Uh, that is, agorists have a comprehensive class theory ready to supplant the Marxist paradigm, which also avoids the flaws in semi-libertarian half-hard theory and its attendant compromises. As to be expected, it begins with counter-economics. All right. You got anything here? we got two more chapters. Yeah. Um... You look what you're thinking. Yeah, trying to uh, trying to apply the whole Machiavellian idea to agorism. I mean, mm -hmm. there are. I mean, I, I'm not really plugged into that sphere, but I imagine that there are prolific agorists that do have that drive for, um, you know, drive for power and um, that drive to, you know, move things in the direction of agorism. Um, in a in a meaningful and intelligent way um because I, I i think there has to i think agorists have to be machiavellian in order to be successful in a certain sense yeah like you you have to um you know in the way that you interact with your your customers and the way that you interact with um you know the the people that help you in your production process even with law enforcement um, you have to have that, that charisma, that drive for power and, um, that, that it factor. I forget what, um, uh, I forget what Sam Francis called it, but it was like not machismo, but it was like some Italian word or yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's why we don't have maybe as much prolific agorists as, as say political actors is because, like if if you don't succeed, you either stop being an agorist or you go to jail. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, I guess I guess in a certain sense you are correct, but I guess my point I was kind of getting at is with a political the political movement is like yeah, sure you can be the monarch or whatever, and you can head up some organization, you can make these moves, and the idea of trying to create some sort of consistent road path for going forward in a political movement. Whereas in agorism, you are to some extent acting alone. Yes, you are working with other individuals, but you're not necessarily leading some large movement that you say, do exactly as I do, or do this, or, or behave in this manner to be able to move in a way. Whereas you're dealing with political theory, I do think it gets confusing with a lot of people. And they're like, especially if you're doing you know things behind the scenes, uh, it, it can it can get lost and lost in the sauce a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, Machiavellian, uh, like a Machiavellian would would view things situationally. Um, there's there would be no no higher moral guiding principle. It would be um, you know view things situationally and make decisions in a way that either retains your power or expands it. It's um think of like you know the the commie view of capitalism, but like instead of money, it's, it's power. And I think, uh, I don't know, like 
I think agorists have to think like that as well. Whenever they come to a, a fork in the road, um, they have to think about a their 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 uh, um, their material gain and b their survival. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I I actually agree. I guess maybe my first analysis was a little bit missing. I, I do th- and I guess this kind of plays to what I was getting at before, where the smaller the unit, the more the effect of the Machiavellian is, I think. Mm-hmm. The Machiavellianism is. Because if you are dealing with a large, say you're trying to lead some large political movement and you're acting in a Machiavellian manner, at some point you're going to die or so, or you're, someone's going to take over your place and you're essentially passing on the torch. And the idea that they're going to act in the same manner and be able to continue on this this you know thing that you did is a little bit foolish whereas if you're acting as an individual uh, you know it's like you know 350 million individual actors acting in their own way some people you know people acting machiavellian in their own manner uh you're not yeah you may kind of teach other people and i guess you know uh and maybe they will follow after you but it's going to be a little bit more personal and it'll be easier to control so mm-hmm. I, I guess in that manner, you would also, you know, like on a state or county level, you may be able to get away with being more Machiavellian than I think you would on a large, on a large fucking level. Uh, All right. Chapter seven, Agris class theory. Murray Rothbard took Franz Oppenheimer's distinction between the political means of gaining wealth, state theft, and the economic means, production, then portrayed them as power versus market. Unfortunately, most libertarians haven't applied Rothbard's concept completely and thoroughly. Explained Konkin, since many libertarians arrived at anarchy from the limited government classical liberal position, they retain a sort of three-cornered concept of struggle. I do want to point out, the more time goes on, the more I hate classical liberals. I do want to say that. I used to kind of just think like, oh, okay, they're all right. But then over time, I fucking hate them. In the Marxist sense, classical liberalism leads to you know, what we have right now. <laughs> yeah, they're basically centrist. They're like, well, I'm kind of libertarian. Um, the state at one apex, real criminals at a second, and innocent society at a third. Those who commit victimless crimes in the minarchist view may often be put in the criminal class, not for their non-crime victimless act, but for avoiding trial by the state and remaining at large. Again, some anarchists have yet to entirely free themselves from this liberal status hangover. Remember, the liberal status want to restrain the state to increase the production of the host to maximize eventual parasitism. That's a good point. Uh, I keep bringing up popular liberty, but he said that, but that's the point he's brought up before. It's kind of like when the state's smaller, they kind of increases their production in a lot. This is kind of the, the, the story. And I guess we kind of, we ran the, uh, we ran the sort of ran the intellectual thought experiment, uh, in our last episode about like, should the state, should there ever, should we even have ever broken off from England? And cause you know, we did have that period of time where it was like, Oh cool. Things are better. You know, look how small the state is and look where yeah. we are now. So like, I mean, this, this gets into Kaczynski too, you know, like the, the sheer volume of um, choices and food that we have that was brought to us by capitalism has, you know, has it really made us better? I mean, we're all fat. We're all out of shape. We all die of fucking cancer in our sixties and seventies. Um, you know, like, eh, all, it's like an all, all the better to eat you with my dear thing. Mm. <laughs> they control their appetites, but continue the system of plunder. The recent political example of supply side economics starkly illustrates the basic status nature of such ideas. 
The tax rate is lowered in order to encourage greater economic production and thus a greater total tax collection in the long run. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it is kind of a weird mind fuck, especially for libertarians, that one. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, it's kind of like either got to, I mean, I guess it's like either got to have it. It's a great argument for anarchism or full on statism, really. Yeah. You know, one of the two. Or, or pick up uh, industrial society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Likewise, free uh, or I do want to say for those who aren't aware of uh, you know Pete, he's done, he's covered it with you, the uh, fucking uh, Kaczynski. Yep. You guys did the whole live reading. It was great stuff. So I uh, do suggest anyone who's interested in Kaczynski go check that out. Uh, was he the Pete Quinones show now? I believe now. Yep, I think it is now. Okay. Likewise, free enterprise conservatives and libertarian minarchists call for retention of the state, however restricted or restrained. They are the enemy of the agorist, the free market, and complete liberty. They fo- go ahead. Oh no, that it it makes sense hearing that quote that uh that that that, that kind of explains the dynamic on the timeline, you know, between you know well-known agorists and well-known minarchists. Yeah, or really, even we brought up we we brought up a fucking um we kind of brought up like the LPNH thing earlier or whatever and uh. Yeah. For, you know, or, or stuff like that. Like it's kind of, and I guess this is kind of the divide of respectability politics in general is kind of like the, and this is why a lot of people don't like the current LPs because there are a lot of anarchists in there. And, you know, it's kind of the idea of a lot of people are kind of like, Oh, you want to fucking, you want to completely take this down and that that's, and you have zero regard or respect for the individuals at the top. Like what the fuck? Uh, that, that is kind of, I guess that's a good, um, you know, parallel of what he's talking about here. In some regards, mm-hmm. they fall on the status side of the class line. The libertarian rhetoric they offer, Conkin wrote, may be turned or continued to consistency and winning over confused and marginal potential converts, but they offer no material substance for freedom. That is, they are objectively status. Let me reread that. Who is he referring to? Oh, he's referring to the minarchists and free enterprise conservatives. Okay. I didn't know because he sometimes lobs bombs at the fucking, you know, like even like anarchist types who want to use low P. So it's like, it's kind of, but yeah, no, there's definitely some truth to that. Uh, I mean, I guess in some regards, there's a little bit of a stepping stone for a lot of people to get to anarchism, but it is like in a, if you stay there, it is kind of like you're, if anything, you're kind of more of a hindrance than anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like, uh, especially nowadays, um, and depending on, where you live, whether it's a major urban metropolitan area, or if you live in a, in the suburbs or a rural area, um, that also might hinder or accelerate your evolution mm-hmm. towards, uh, you know, certain ideologies, um, as far as w- whether you value freedom or order or equality. Yeah. What is meant when a person or group or people are called objectively status? To agorists, the term is used for those who emulate the state by murdering, stealing, defrauding, raping, and assaulting. These red marketeers dealing in blood, not gold or trade goods, Conkin explained, are best looked upon as degenerate factions of the ruling class. In contention with the state's police as the Cowboys fight the Yankees, the Morgans fight the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers, and the Soviet status fight the American status. These red marketeers, said Agris, are criminals. At the same time, all so-called criminals that do not involve initiation of violence or the threat of it are counter-economic. Since they run counter to the interests of the state they are usually, and are usually productive, 
they are forbidden by the state. They are therefore objectively agorist and thus objectively revolutionary. Wrote Konkin, agorist class theory has the best of both positions, a sharp class line and a graduated spectrum. Individuals are complex and confused. An individual may commit some counter-economic acts and some status ones. Nonetheless, each act is either counter-economic or status. People and groups of people can be classified along a spectrum as to the predominance of agorism over statism. Yet at each given moment, one can view an action, judge it immediately, and take concrete counteraction or supportive action if desired. And we, we talked about this last episode, the idea of that it's good to have the, the sharp lines, but it's also, you know, at the same time, you kind of need to have a spectral analysis at the same time. And that's yeah, like it. agorism is temporal, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. one hour of the day you might be an agorist, the, the other 23 you might be a statist. Yeah, I'm all right with that. <laughs> and it's not. And, and the point is, too, a lot of people will, you know, you know, especially some agorists who don't really understand it or people who aren't agorists who don't really understand agorists. Agorism will kind of accuse will make it out like you aren't being a good agorist if you aren't like fully in the black or whatever. And it's that's not the case at all. Uh, and it, most agorists who understand the theory wouldn't think that it's completely a, you know, understanding, you know, your cost benefit, which is subjective for each one. Yeah. And kind of, you know, because you're useless if you're in a fucking jail cell. So the idea is to avoid that. And and even on top of that, not even just a jail cell, you're useless if you're fucking, if you, you know, drive yourself through poverty through fines from the IRS or whatever, what have you. So the idea is to push it to the degree you can uh, without getting, without pushing it beyond a, a spot to where you can, you're able to accept the projected possible risk. So... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think more people than we realize, you know, do that regularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work with trades, trades people all the time yeah. and, you know, on the weekends they're, they're doing side gigs for cash mm-hmm. and, and um, yeah, but they, they wouldn't call themselves agorists cause they don't know what agorism is, but you know, that's, that's kind of a, uh, uh, another, another good little white pill as far as uh, counter economics goes. It's not, it's not a perfect system, but, you know, the more the, the more you're immersed in that world, the more of a white pill it is. Yeah. And a lot of people use that point to kind of, uh, I don't know, denigrate agorism is almost, almost just like, well, let's just tell people are. And like, but I actually think it's good to kind of have a theory side to it or what have you. And, and almost a, in a certain sense, it's almost a little bit like a moral thing as well, where it's kind of like because there is always, I think, for a lot of people, especially people who aren't really, you know, anarchists or, you know, fully into this, that you know, when they're doing that stuff, there's a small part in the back of their head, especially from the, the 12 years of fucking indoctrination or 13 or whatever the hell it is, where they have this small little tinge in the back of their head. We're like, I'm not really supposed to be doing this. Whereas if you have this like theory or this understanding of how things are, you can kind of have like, well, no, it's fine. I really, if anything, I should be pushing it to the max that I can handle. Yeah. Uh, so like it, it allows people to be able to be, uh, I think it is beneficial in that regard because, uh, you know, that's one point Conk would always bring up is there are people who behave as essentially as counter economists, but aren't really, you know, agorists in, in yeah. that sense. And then they're the not class people, conscious yeah. at all. Yeah. They're, and then on the, on the flip side, you have people who are, and this is a common problem. I think, I think most agorists will think on this when they you know, start looking at agorists and realize they were there at one point to where they were libertarians or whatever you want to call yourself to where you weren't really engaging to the degree you feel like you should have in the counter economy because of some 
I, I don't know, you were stuck in theory. And it's like, yeah. no, go fucking do application, bitch. Like, go fucking do something as opposed to, you know, just having this theory in your head and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So what about motivation, awareness, consciousness of actions, and their consequences and professions of agreement? They are irrelevant. Agris judge one solely by one's acts, and one is responsible for fully restoring one's victims to the pre-aggression state of being for each and every act. Conquer- <laughs> I'm a little bit no like- preemptive action. Don't do it. <laughs> well, Don't, uh, I can only judge you if you if if you take if you take my kid to the hospital to get hormone replacement therapy. That's when I can judge you. <laughs> okay, that that is, that is a, I, I will, it's a, I will it's a it. nap. It's a variation yeah, I, of the nap. I know, I know. That is a a very and I know I know you weren't saying that's how you understand the nap order, but that is no. a common issue with a lot of people where it's like. Oh, well, I can't like if so-and-so says, hey, I'm going to shoot you in the head. Yeah. Like, well, I can't do anything until he tries to like, no. Like, <laughs> and there, there are definitely there's a, there's a gray area. Like and it is, yeah. sometimes you are just acting on your gut. I think, it's, you- I think it's proven to be more than effective <laughs> that, you know, if if your goal is to play the knockout game, you have to throw the first punch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is a little bit of being smarter than uh, than, you know. Yeah, they're definitely threats, and that's where things can get a little bit confusing, and it requires a little bit of understanding. But you know, whatever. I'm a little bit of an e- I'm I'm an egoist in a lot of regards, so like I that I also like. Okay. <laughs> not even being an egoist is just being a, a a normal person that's you know existing being, now. Yeah, being not a retard. <laughs> yeah, I I always can't stand when people use that like version of the nap. I'm like, God, are you fucking retarded? It's but, okay. just a, a cop out to not perform any action whatsoever. Exactly. Konkin explains regular repeated patterns of aggression make one a habitual criminal, a statist. These people earn no wealth and have no property. Uh, well, anyway, depends what you mean. Uh, their loot is forfeit to revolutionary aggress as agents of the victims. Oh, okay. I get what he means. They earn no wealth and have no property. They, they, he means it in the sense of like, uh, you know, the proper, you know, property. Uh, like you don't, you don't have righteous property. Uh, yeah. You know. I'm a big fan of the uh, you brought up egoism. It's kind of the idea that like you know the property is just a matter of who has it. Like yeah, yeah you can you can make a point that like well that's not right. I'm like okay, well I have it. So, <laughs> yeah. but I get what he means. Um, uh, the loot is forfeit to revolutionary agress as agents of the victims. The pure status subclass includes all political office holders, police, military, civil service, grant holders, and subsidy receivers. Uh, I know a lot of people, we brought this up before, a lot of people don't like that. And it does kind of like irk people that are government workers or whatever. But I do think you have to, especially once you start understanding, you do need to realize that like in a certain sense, you are the enemy class. Like, yeah. like this isn't what you should be doing. And I also think in a lot of regards, it's probably not the most beneficial thing for you in the long run, which that's a longer discussion. I mean, yeah. you both got to have active duty. So I think, you know, we kind of agree with that as well. Uh, we probably could have sit down and have a discussion with someone think about joining and be like, Hey, do you really want to do that? I don't think you're going to really oh, yeah. like other sense. So uh, yeah, I think in the long run, especially these petty, uh, petty government uh, positions, maybe you can make a case if you're an elite class individual, they're like, okay, maybe the juice is worth the squeeze, but like, uh, but something like military fucking stuff like that. Like, no, you probably are better off just never to go there in the first place. Uh, well, you know. yeah, but, the thing is the the way I would explain that to the average, I'm about to go to the recruiting station, like 
19 year old it i i wouldn't appeal to their sense of morality because they're they're too stupid right now to to think yep. about that but they do have a a hyper a hyper aware sense of uh sense of justice and um when i i would talk to them about like we talk about DEI and ESG and how your entire experience in the Navy is just going to be a 200 slide PowerPoint about like trans rights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would probably take more of the material argument of like how it's going to work. Like, okay, maybe you could, if you're really going to do just the four years and get out, maybe there's, you could actually make a case that's beneficial for you. But even then likely you're probably going to, I don't know, get married or get preg- or your wife's going to get pregnant or you're going to I don't know extend because you're like well shit I'm in a bad economic spot and then you're going to be stuck in or whatever and then you're you're going to yeah exactly <laughs> everyone thinks oh, I'm just going to do four and get out or at least people who aren't really too keen on it and then they end up being sucked in for one reason or another uh, oh yeah it, it's the incentive is there especially in the navy if you are a seagoing rate like normally your rotation is like one enlistment on at sea and then they they entice you with like well, your next enlistment, you'll be on shore duty and it's a regular nine to five job and relax and reconnect and, and like maybe get married. That's the time to have kids and buy a house. So the incentive is there for at least to do two enlistments. Yeah. And they really do. I don't, I, I mean, oh, these days it seems like they really do kind of put you on the fast track to making like Sergeant or E5 or whatever pretty quickly. So it is like, you do get to a point where you're like economically kind of in a good spot and you're like, fuck like i want to get out but i'm making good fucking money and nothing's good on the outside i I had to start from literally square one i went to a whole different career field and um you know but my having that having that military those bullet those military bullet points on my resume meant that i only had to start at square one for like a very compacted amount of time before i kind of made my way up i mean luckily for me me and the wife kind of uh we had just, and it, it wasn't even like an agorism thing. We had built up a side thing and it was, it was literally just because, it, you know, we ended up running. My wife ended up kind of, she was, she just started getting, having seizures and we were worried she wasn't gonna keep her job. So then we were kind of had the incentive to where we need another economic, uh, you know, another fucking stream of income. Mm-hmm. And it kind of built up over time. And that was really the only thing that was able to enable me to get out. So I kind yeah. of got lucky because, and even then I'll be honest, even right now, things shit still like tight. So oh, yeah. like, cause I went from like, uh, you know, being like making like damn good money being an E6, uh, with yep. 11 years in to fucking like, Oh shit. But luckily I'd kind of built up a side stream that was kind of able to cushion the fall and yeah, it's, it's a bitch. So yeah. it was like, I would suggest no one join just even just from a purely materialism, materialism type of fucking perspective. No, I, I tell people that all the time, like my, my younger siblings and their friends and, you know, younger cousins and all that, that just graduated high school. Like, what the fuck do I do? And then, um, you know, when college isn't really an option and I'm, I, I, sh- I shoot them straight over to, you know, job interviews with, with trades. Yeah. Go grind, bitch. Like everyone yep. wants a quick, easy one, but it's like, sorry, it's not just going to be easy right from the echo. You're going to go grind. You, you will not have a job that you enjoy. You will have a job that you tolerate <laughs> and you will make You'll never be rich, but you'll be decently well off. Yep. There is a special subclass of the pure status who not only accept plunder and enforce or maintain, or maintain the machinery of the state, but actually direct and control it. In socialist countries, these are the top office holders of the governing political party who usually have top government offices. In the capitalist countries, these super status seldom appear in government positions, preferring to control directly the wealth of their state interface corporations. 
you, or you guys, are usually <sighs> banks, energy monopolists, and there are and army suppliers. Here we find the power elite, higher circles, invis- invisible government, ruling class, and insider conspiracy that other ideological groupings have detected and identified. Toward the end of the spectrum are full-time counter-economists, Konkin explained. They reject government offerings and disregard state regulations. If they report an income is a tiny proportion of what they actually earn, if they file a report, it's highly misleading but plausible. Their occupations are fulfilling are fulfilling demand that the state strives to suppress or exterminate. They not only act freely but often heroically. Yes, only fans. <laughs> See the, the the first thing that pops in my mind is like heroin dealers, and yeah. I just I can't <laughs> I can't think of any context in which they're acting heroically, unless unless you fully boil me down to, you know, uh, like delete everything in in your brain except libertarianism, then maybe. But like I I don't know. Like I I see too much fucking death and destruction just. Like in, on on my way to work for me to consider them like heroic. Yeah, I mean the the often heroic. To be fair, he said often. So I mean, yeah. I don't, I, it depends on what he's talking about because uh, you know there's so many different ways to act in the counter economy. It's just the problem is everyone every the first things that comes to mind when everyone thinks of the black market is the the shitty stuff. All there is, oh, yeah. I mean, literally, it could be. You could be a mechanic that's, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, just but working. I don't know if Konkin differentiates between, say, you know, the plumber that does side work, you know, helping helping grandma put in a new toilet versus like the the fentanyl dealer that goes that walks down like in, in my area. There's a street called uh, Mass Ave and Molina Cass Boulevard and like just, you know, taking fucking five and ten dollar bills to people that are literally like dying on the street. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it is like I, I don't. Well, we, haven't, like, we haven't read the whole thing yet, so maybe he will. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I uh, to be. I've read. I feel like you're right, though. I mean, maybe he'll go into that. I, I don't think he will. I, I don't think he differentiates. Oh, I'm, I mean, trying to. I'm trying to help him. I mean, he said often heroically, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. There's definitely maybe a, an argument to be made. I mean, you could be a. Uh, you could be a semi-moral. I mean, you could be better than the other heroin dealers. You could be the one not lacing your shit with fentanyl. I don't fucking know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, at the day, there's a the market demand, so it's going to happen one way or the other. So you know. It is what it is, um, whether you like it or not. I would say probably don't do that. That would be, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> I, I would go even further and say it's it's okay to initiate aggression against those people. Um, only like from a purely utilitarian sense, um, you know, ma- you know, make make the incentive for them to view their job as a lot more dangerous. Like it, their job should be dangerous just because you're dealing with heroin addicts. Or, or just like addictive, like addict addicts in general. But um, that's, I think that's one area where uh, in 2022, maybe Konkin couldn't have foreseen this, but the state really, at least in my area, again, like ma- major urban centers, uh, they kind of just let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not, it's more of a gray market instead of a black market now. That's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, Although I will say, you know, we can go deep theory on that. I do think, and I, this is why I like like Hoppe and shit. I do think in like a free fucking, in the true, in true anarchy or whatever, I do think those would be things that are frowned upon. So like, yeah, yeah. it still exists, but it'd be, 
not in my covenant community. You know, you, <laughs> you can go to the outskirts or whatever and do that bullshit, but you yeah, must not yeah. get caught by any of the fucking, any of the what's people that, uh, in there. What's that place in California, like Slab City or something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I've never uh, heard of it. just a hippie yeah. fucking commune that's yeah. pe people dying. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh, just as the super states understand the states working and use it consciously, there exist those at the counter-economic end of the spectrum who understand the pure libertarian consistency and morality of their acts. These are the agorists. Against the power elite are the anti-power elite, the revolutionary agorist cadre, Conkin wrote. But what of the middle class of spectrum? What of those who mix commission of some counter-economic act with some status acts, white spots, their lives summed up by greatness? Conkin described the middle class this way. To the status, the, they are the victims, the herds of, of cattle to be slaughtered and sheep to be sheared. To the agorists, they are the external marketplace to receive nearly everything in trade but trust. And someday they shall either take control of their lives and polarize one way or the other or fail to do so and shall stagnate in the status swamp or be borne away in the, in the winds of revolutionary change. And I guess this kind of, you know, talks to, gets to what I was talking about last in the, in the last episode, where I kind of see the future being more of a bifurcation between, you know, two you know, separate entities, you know, the, you know, the, the fucking super cities of, that we're going to see in the future and then probably the, uh, the more free areas in the outskirts. Uh, I do think it's kind of like at some point you got to kind of move one way or the other. And I do think uh, counter economic acts play into that in some regard. So, yeah. And I, I do see a role for the political class to play as well um, in terms of providing cover for agorism. Mm. Um, increase, like like kind of what Boston is doing for heroin dealers where they're just simply not enforcing laws. Um, you could flip that into something that's actually beneficial mm. and, uh, you know, fire a bunch of IRS agents, um, you know, do a bunch of um, uh, executive orders, taking away regulatory authority um you know year old which never really happens but like you know repeal some taxes yeah. um it, all all that's you know it, it's it's been done before but a lot of it's still kind of theory yeah yeah no i i understand that i know a lot of people use that to like push it back against agorists and there's a point to that and this is my point where it's a matter of perspective i do think uh being an agorist or a non-political actor in a weird way does have its influence on the political sphere so I do think, you know, kind of that is in a lot of regards and you know, a lot of those like, you know, drug law stuff you were bringing up is mostly influenced because to some extent the state kind of throws up its hands in a lot of ways and then they start acting in certain ways. I think a lot of people checking out of the system has its effect on the, the political system as well to where I think they do. It's almost like they're trying to be more appealing to these people who kind of, you know, pulled out to where they're kind of like, hey, come back, bitch. And like. You know, like, uh, I, I do think there's something to that, but I guess on the flip side, you could also have the perspective of like, Hey, you know, I could infiltrate the state and push it this way. I mean, I would make the case that there's more to be gained from, you know, pushing it from the outside, uh, in a lot of ways, but you know, people will do that. I guess if you're going to do involve yourself in the political system, I prefer you do it in that way, but I, I yeah. do think there's this is all like to, local, yeah. you know, local County town, yeah. even maybe even state, politics um very very rarely um is it you know felt on the federal level in any meaningful way yeah except except when they do crack down like they are right now yeah. uh, that that remains to be seen how how painful that's going to be but i know that you know if 
if you have a six hundred and one dollar transaction on your Venmo, like you'll get you'll get fucking you'll you'll get a ten ninety nine K in your email or in your app or whatever. Yeah. Uh no for sure. Uh and then, all right. Konkin offered scenario using agorist class theory to inter- illustrate the difference between a limited government libertarian and the agorist. Consider the individual standing at the corner of the street. He can see two sides of the building behind him as he prepares to cross the street. He is hailed and turns around to see an acquaintance from the local libertarian club approaching in one direction. The latter advocates working through the system and is an armed government agent. Walking along the other side of the building is another acquaintance, same age, gender, degree, and closeness of closeness and so on, who is a practicing counter-economist. She also may be armed, is undoubtedly carrying the same kind of, the very kind of contraband the state agents is empowered to act on. Seeing you, the first individual waves and confirms she indeed has a legal product and is about to run into libertarian status at the corner. Both are slightly distracted looking at you. The situation is not likely to happen too often, but it's quite possible. Only the removable, removal of complicating factors is contrived. If you fail to act, the counter-economist will be taken by surprise and arrested or killed. If she is warned, she may at this last minute elect to defend herself before flight and thus injure the agent. You are aware of this and must act now or fail to act. The agorist may take some pains to cover his warning so that he will not get involved in a crossfire, but he will act. The socialist has a problem if the state agent works for a socialist state. Even the libertarian has a problem. Let's make it really uh, let's make it really rough. The state agent contributes heavily to the local libertarian club or party. For whatever reasons, many such people are, are known to this author. The counter-economist re- refuses to participate except socially to the group. For whose benefit would the political libertarian act? Such choices will increase in frequency in the state, increases repression, or the agorists increase their resistance. Both are likely in the near future. Agorist class theory is quite practical. And we are on to the last bit. Uh, I, do, I do like the point that it kind of brings up there. It almost is kind of getting the crux of the matter of whether uh, violence is uh, justified against you in a sense. Like you can be a libertarian state actor, but it's like you do got to realize like, hey, if you're in that situation to where you're pushing back in a moral sense, that person against you that, you know, whether it's a counter economist or whatever the fuck, and they're not doing anything wrong per your libertarian theory. If you're still acting under the you know auspices of the state, you are still just because you're a libertarian that doesn't shield you at all. And I do think that's kind of a point that I was kind of getting at with the whole like if you're in the military, you just suddenly realize you are the enemy class. Like you can try to behave in a certain manner, and I guess you can in certain instances act in certain ways, but you know, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. trying not to get this taken off of YouTube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people get what you're talking about. I, I will say I'm kind of getting at the crux of like whether violence is justified. I, I will I will always for a caveat for YouTube and you know I do mean this as well. I think generally speaking, unless you're like are in some state to where you have an insane defensive force or whatever, I think offensive force against the state is almost always not pragmatic. Yeah. But it's usually moral. <laughs> yeah. I'll say that. It- uh, it depends on, for me at least, it depends on the context of state. Like if it's, if, like I said, you're a heroin dealer and, you know, a, a cop is, is approaching a heroin dealer, the heroin dealer doesn't see the cop. Like, 
I'm probably not going to say anything. Like, yes, that is a counter-economic actor, and yes, the cop is an agent of the state, but that I I'm not going to interact with that cop, um, at least consciously. I'm not interacting with that cop in any in any way that inconveniences me. But I see like the product. I, I see the product of the heroin dealer more than I see the product of the cop on like a day-to-day basis, which is why like. I don't know, like this, this objective morality where that, that divides between statism and um, counter-economic activity, like good versus evil or evil versus good. I don't know. I, na- nowadays, it's, it's hard for me to get down with that. And maybe, maybe in principle, sure. But, you know, like I said, I kind of divide my, my, myself between, you know, the context of what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, in, in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you know, kind of brought the heroin dealer. I definitely you know, frown upon that. Now, do I want the state to do anything about it? Not really. Uh, but I don't I know. Kill Indi- myself. Yeah, individual actors. I don't know. Okay. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm not, okay, I, I just wouldn't that. have that much of an opinion about it if yeah. I saw a heroin dealer getting arrested. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they should. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like, if they do, I'd, be, yeah. I'd be hard pressed <laughs> to to care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good way to put it. Like I don't think in theory they should, but I'm not really probably going to complain about it much if they do. <laughs> May even laugh a little bit, you know, <laughs> which we we kind of talked before. I run the last one. This is a little bit. This is kind of short. I'm mean, I'm keeping you longer than you want. Uh, so let's go ahead and knock this out. A agri solutions for Marxist problems. Marxist problem. The revolutionary class appears to work against own interests. The proletariat support reactionary politicians. Agra solution. The counter-economic class cannot work against its interests as long as it's acting counter-economically. Those supporting status politically have internal psychological problems without doubt, but as a class, these acts dampen the weakening of the state marginally. Someone who earns 60,000 tax-free and contributes to 3,000 politically is a net revolutionary by several thousand dollars, several hundred percent. Marxist problem. Revolutionary states keep selling out to reaction. Agri-solution. There are no such states. Resistance to all states at all times is supported. Marx? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The the Bolsheviks sure did kill a lot of fucking landowners. (laughs) I would call that pretty revolutionary. Yeah. That's true. Marxist problem. Revolutionary parties often betray the victimized class before taking power. Yeah. Yeah. Question I always ask is, what did they do to deserve it? (laughs) (laughs) There are no such parties. Resistance to all parties at all times is supported. Uh, Marxist problem. Little objective relief can be accomplished by reformist action. Agris agree. Therefore, one must await the revolution to destroy the system. Until then, revolutionary activities are premature and adventurous. Still, the productive class remains victimized until the class reaches consciousness as a whole. You know, what's funny is like that, that actually reminds me a lot of your standard libertarian belief kind of deal. Is like kind of like we gotta wait till class consciousness yeah. reaches. We gotta spread thing. the message, bro. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that, and a lot of people do. I mean, not all of them. I think a more, more, uh, more of the, the more the people are better on this. Don't, don't. But 
a lot, especially, you know, kind of the classical liberals or minarchists or whatever will spread the mess. Step one, spread the message. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Agra solution. Each individual may liberate himself immediately. Incentives for supporting collective action are built in and grow as a self-conscious counter economy grows. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Uh, and but li- just have to jump li- through the flaming hoops of culture, like yeah, uh, a culture where counter economic act, well, uh, a large degree of co- counter economic activity, probably whatever degree would would break your chains from reliance on the state. Um, that degree would probably be frowned upon by, say, your neighbors, you know, your your community. Mm. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the hurdle that agorism has to climb. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people hear the individual may liberate himself immediately line and think that like th- that almost reads to a lot of people as being like, Oh, I'm immediately going to act completely in the black or, or be, com- and I will be free. I'm a sovereign citizen or whatever. And that's, that's not what he means at all. And I know you know that, but, uh, it's more the idea of that. Like, it's more of a mindset of like, uh, you know, I'm acting and these are these, there are these outside things that I know are constants and I'm just, I'm behaving around them to the best I can, but I am a free individual and I will act as such to the best degree I can. It's yeah. When you start analyzing your actions through the lens of that class theory. Yeah. And that's, that's true of any class theory. It's true of any ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, When you start analyzing your individual actions through that lens, then you become, you know, you, you become, uh, really a, a vanguard member. <laughs> yeah. All right. Marxist problems. Last one. The class bl- line blurs with time against prediction. Agorist solution. Class line sharpen with time as predicted. I like that last one because that's. I guess that kind of gets what I was talking about too. Is as time you kind of have to pick one road or the other, and obviously it's a little bit more complicated than kind of like I think Konkin put it because we brought up culture a lot in this as well. But I do think over time. I think if we could, you know, fast forward 100, 200 years, I do think we will see more of a bifurcation. And I think, mm. I think that is in large part to do with, you know, uh, you know, kind of the a lot, of, I guess, counter economy, liberty, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of moving one or the other. I do think the authoritarian state is going to get more authoritarian, but with its more authoritarianism, it will recede into its power systems and or power centers and which will allow for more freedom along the outskirts. So I do think you will see a, essentially the class line sharpening is. A yeah. Way to put it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I like you, I think, I, I think it is going to be based on, on geographic terms, you know, yeah. urban, suburban, rural. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and think, will- I, I think a lot of it, a, a lot of the, um, the, the sharpening of class lines is going to be based on, you know, proximity to urban centers. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just think it, and, and it's not to say even in that situation, there can't be agorists within those, you know, super cities or whatever. I just think it's going to be harder for you, but at the same time, I do think it'll probably be more uh, beneficial. And this is kind of, this is a common agorist point that a lot of people talk about. It's like, you know, if you like people who say, if you're a single individual willing to accept more risk, you can live in those urban centers and have a more profitable lifestyle. As long as you're got a smart head about you, you can, you know, kind of, you know, and you know, with, within the counter economy, just like the regular economy, there's producers and consumers. I think you're going to see your consumers are going to be centered in the city and mm-hmm. your producers are going to be on the peripheral. Yeah. Where well, right. it's, it's, okay. inf- it's inherently more risky to be a producer in the counter economy than mm-hmm. it is to be a consumer. It's, you know, it's, it's the dealers that face the consequences, the users 
you know. Yeah, for sure. And with that, we are done. There's an appendix. I may, uh, we definitely don't have time for that. I'll, I'm probably might skim through this later and see if it's worth maybe doing another episode to go through that. But uh, uh, this may be the conclusion. Uh, may or may not. I didn't realize there's an appendix. We'll see if it's worth a damn. Uh, it is kind of a little essay. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, we are out. You want to go ahead and drop your plugs? Yeah. Um, you can find me at, uh, at BTWA Returns on Twitter. And live every Wednesday on Timeline Earth. Cool, cool. Uh, you guys do live? Where do you guys do live at? It's, it's, it's live. Oh, live. Okay. <laughs> I was like I was like I didn't know there was like a live function for like you know audio only stuff. So I was like, huh. oh, was, it's uh, it's it's for our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, okay. you're gonna get uh, into Patreon. Then you, then you get all the live recordings. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, uh, with that, yeah, this has been the No Way Jose Show. You can find me on YouTube, all major odd podcasts, obviously, as well. Follow me on Twitter if uh, at Senor Jose 2020. Uh, I get nuked all the time, just like Aaron. So if you want to follow me on Facebook as a backup, Jose Galli song there. I don't do anything on Facebook, but you know, it's a backup. Uh, Patreon.com, Snow Way Jose 2020. If you want to give me money, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. We are out. Thank you for your time, Aaron. This was Thank fun. you for having me. I may see you on a third one. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to skim through the appendix, see if it's worth a damn. I mean, we are That's out. good.